Welcome to another episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work series, a guide podcast. Shout out to everyone that is tuning in from all over the world. Please to a lovely UTFO community, show us some love in the comments. If you are tuning in and you are part of today's episode, I am going to shout you out from the rooftops as we go throughout this episode. But I want to talk to you all about the special guest I have today on the podcast with me. Prem Kumar is the CEO and co-founder of Humanly, an AI platform company that screens and schedules job candidates for companies with high applicant volume. Previously to that, Prem led the product management and design teams at Tiny Pulse, an employee engagement company that empowers organizations to build world-class cultures with real-time people data. Prior to Tiny Pulse, Prem spent 10 years at Microsoft working in a variety of product capacities, including within Microsoft's HR technology department. In addition to his day job, Prem loves sharing his ideas through writing as a member of the Forbes Business Council, representing the U.S. as a Peter Drucker S. in 2013, as well as receiving two Best of Think Week awards for white papers aimed at breaking down cultural barriers at Microsoft. He's an all-star. Outside of work, Prem spends time with his two young kids and wife and enjoys travel and Seattle sports. And it's truly an honor to have Prem on today's show because I've known this guy for quite some time. I actually met him through LinkedIn. But one of the things I love about Prem is the human element that he brings to leadership. And what I'm really excited about to talk about in today's episode is one, how him and his co-founders built Humanly.io, and more importantly, his thoughts on the future of what is now, and what does this future of remote work look like in terms of leadership, execution, and more importantly, culture building. So without further ado, I want to have Prem on the show. What's good, brother? How you doing, Tim? Thanks for having me. That was an awesome intro. <laughs> Thanks, man. How are you doing today? How are you surviving this new normal? Yeah, it definitely is a new normal. Um, so <laughs> lots of uh, lots of lifestyle adjustments. Um, we're we're in the house here with we have a couple young kids, uh, as you mentioned. So it's yeah, been interesting, but we're getting through, man. And um, you know, looking to be supportive of others also going through it. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. So talk to me a little bit about your background, man. How long have you been living in Seattle and be, been doing the work that you do in, in tech? Yeah, so I was actually born in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, so I moved. Uh, we moved out to Seattle when I was about three. Um, mm. So been here my whole life. Um, started my HR tech career at Microsoft, like you mentioned. I was just always passionate about you know using technology to solve people problems, uh, mm. using people data. Um, so yes, um, been in the space uh, about ten years. Man, so let me ask you, man. You know, for you, when you growing up, were you always passionate about technology? Um, I would say it, you, it was kind of around like junior high and high school um, that, that I started really becoming more and more passionate. And it wasn't, it wasn't just the tech for tech's sake. Is it's when mm. I saw the power of of how it can change people's lives. And um, yeah, so I, I think it was kind of around that time frame where I saw, hey, this, this is a great opportunity to really impact the world um, using the, the power of technology. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, for you, you know, your early career is working with, you know, companies like Tiny Pulse and Microsoft. Was that kind of that opportunity for one to chisel your thinking as a product leader? Did that really inform a lot of the work that you do now with Humanly? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was a it was great to kind of have that large company experience when I was at Microsoft. Uh, you yeah. know, the, from a process standpoint, from a discipline standpoint, from kind of the, the impact you can have at scale. Yeah. But then, then as I went to Tiny Pulse, I, I it was it was a, another great opportunity because it was different. If you, you don't have you're an earlier stage startup, you don't have mm. all the processes. You can make make a lot of impacts across all the functions of product management. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, how I grew up in, in the Microsoft world and then in Tiny Pulse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because you and I, you know, kind of have similar, you know, similar to you. I worked with Microsoft for a little bit. So we have like yeah. share, share commonalities and shared interests there. And I think, it, you know, to your point, it's crazy because for me, I've always been a budding technologies. I've always been interested in tech, but it was not until I, you know, started working with Microsoft that I see what, what can you do with products at scale with platforms. And, mm -hmm. you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about organizations and scale and really how that relates all back to culture, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I love about you and what you're building with Humanly is that you, go, you all are really not only focused on recruiting, but you all also are really focused on creating culture from a maintaining relationship standpoint. So I want to ask you, what can leaders do to create culture, a cultural roadmap within their organization? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you use the term roadmap. Um, yeah. I, I look at culture as living and breathing and, and something that is evolving. So you don't. So one example is kind of um, using how we build technology. So in the in the mm. past, the way technology worked is you'd have a disk, you'd install it once, and that was your software. It's not not going to be improved upon later. Um, and in the past, that's how leaders treated culture. So they mm. came in, they installed it once, and we're not kind of listening, improving, iterating. So I think, um, you know, as you look at how SaaS software is built, there's kind of five things I look at in a product roadmap that, mm. that I think all apply to a culture roadmap. Um, you know, the first is just starting with your vision and aspiration. Where, where yeah. do you want your culture to be now or do you want it to be in five years? Um, you know, the other is what are current customers saying as you build product? Um, and from a culture standpoint, those customers are your employees. What, what are they saying? What, what's the feedback they're getting? What are new customers saying um, and what are new employees saying. So I think building and listening mechanisms, um, understanding kind of even the competitive landscape. I find a lot of times yeah. when people are building culture roadmaps, they're not looking at what others are doing. Um, and then kind wow. of once you, once you have those table stakes, it's just a matter of then finding out what features can help you get to where you want to be um, from a culture standpoint. Wow. So you, you, I think it's really interesting how you see culture. You almost see it like a product. So I want to shout out real quick. I want to shout out some of the amazing people talking within our future, unleashing the future of our community who are viewing this episode. Shout out to Beryl, who's viewing from, I don't know if this is Atlantic or Atlanta, but shout out to you, Beryl. Aro, Mr. Sunday, who is saying that we are amazing and we will be doing great things in the future. He will be doing great things with us in the future. Thank you for the love, Aro. We really appreciate it. You know, Prem, I think I, I love how you think about culture. You think about it as something that's malleable, similar to software, and that you can actually, one, map out. And I agree with you. And I think one of the things that, you know, we're really doing within Guide is we're thinking about culture from the onset, even as we recently, we really just made a pivot in terms of how do we better serve learners and workers in the context of this time, right? In a, in a future where people are not all working and learning remotely, what can we do better? But one of the things I think is really principled to our culture at Guide is what I like to call virtues, right? And I, I chose virtues because I felt like virtues are what people do what people do versus values or what you stand for, but it's, you don't see a lot of organization with virtues. And I want to ask you, when you think about humanly, right, you know, what are some of the things that are really unique to the culture that you all are trying to create? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the biggest things, especially because we're a fairly small company, we have five folks, is when we're creating culture, not looking to, when we bring in new people, not looking for people that are going to be exactly like we are. So we're looking for yeah. people that are different, that can help us grow. And to, and to grow, you need to be not necessarily just homogenous. So yeah. uh, I, I think understanding differences and then and making that a part of how we you know operate on a daily and weekly basis. So um, you know, one thing I started to learn is we have two teammates with very different communication styles. And I think taking the time to do those one-on-ones with everyone to what works for them, what doesn't, um, and, and, and make, create an environment that's accessible to all, no matter how you communicate, no matter how you, um, you know, contribute is really important. So, so I think that that's kind of the big thing, not, not trying to create more of the same, but looking at people that can help us grow, um, and, and allowing them the platforms to help us grow. I love that. I love that. I love that. So when was the moment you realized that your organization needed to embrace the future of work? Because a lot of people may not know, but you all are a fully distributed team. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. So I, I actually, to be honest, um, I, I think I first started thinking about this after having my first kid. Um, wow. I, uh, I, 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 in, in the sense, uh, you know, I, I began to think about, you know, instead of what the future work might look like next year, two years, you know, all of a sudden I'm thinking about what, what's the world my, my son's going to grow up in um, from a, from a work standpoint, from a, just generally from a life standpoint. Mm. Um, so, so I began kind of thinking a little bit less myopically and a little more long-term then with, with humanly specifically, um, you know, when, when you're thrust into a small startup, all of a sudden you start to forget all the learnings you had before. So I, it was a good kind of kick in the, in the butt when, um, you know, I started to actually see some problems emerge um, on the mm. team in, 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 in this kind of remote world. So we have now created ways of, you know, communication channels, using tools to listen and hear feedback from employees. Um, but one, one thing I have learned is it's really hard once you get to like 10, 15, 20, 100 people. It, it, it is we're seeing that now it's really hard to then go back and change to um, change behavior, change, change virtues. Things, things of that nature. So I think addressing that early is really important. Man, it's, it's really important. And it goes back to how you do recruiting, right? Talent yeah. recruiting, right? So I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, talent recruiting and what Humanly is doing in the recruiting space. Yeah, absolutely. So w- one of the things I, I learned in my previous role at, at Tiny Pulse before we started Humanly is, you know, creating high-performing cultures um, mm. starts with who you bring in. It starts with hiring, right? So um, what what we're doing is we are um, screening candidates, so particularly for entry-level roles, high-volume high roles, support. Um, so we'll screen them based on role fit, but we'll also screen them based on culture ad slash culture fit. So if you're using a tool like Tiny Pulse or Culture Amp to measure employee engagement, we're factoring that into the questions we're asking. So we're bringing in people that, for example, if you have an issue of transparency in your organization, we're then asking more questions as we screen candidates around transparency. So, um, you know, that's kind of the the bread and butter of what we're doing. And we're finding that in these times, um, time savings and screening is even even more, more needed and people are more open to trying out automation scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so true. And, you know, we're living in this era of you have to think about how your the way you recruit informs your culture. So Sri, 
my lovely, lovely Unleashing the Future of Work guest is asking, can you please ask Prem how culture is established and distributed teams at a startup level? Talk to me about that, Prem. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had some examples working in these scenarios at, at humanly as well as in the past. Um, I think it, it all starts with, with listening. So there's a lot of, a lot of, and what I mean by listening is there's a lot of tools out there one can use to um, get a direct channel anonymously or, or non-anonymously from employees. So, um, you know, and right now, um, at humanly, we have one employee in Phoenix, we have a couple in Sacramento, we have one in, in Vietnam. Um, my previous company was distributed like that too. And I think something as simple as sending out a weekly survey um, or even an, an anonymous weekly survey. Um, so I think it starts with having a list. You, you can only change what you can measure. So it starts yeah. with with benchmarking it, having the data. Um, and then the next thing I, I think is, is um, which is a, something we did in at Tiny Pulse is addressing all the feedback in front of everyone. So we would do meetings every two weeks uh, where leadership would get up and we would have those hard discussions with everyone there in front of everyone so they can kind of be let into our process. So I think mm. to me, to me, like transparency is all about paying people the respect of bringing them along on your journey. And um, establishing that transparency is a, is a big way of building a culture, especially remotely where you don't see these people all the time in person. Um, so can you, um, you know, use sur surveys? Can you, um, you know, be uh, through, you know, chats just like this and video um, talk about the changes you're making from a transparency standpoint? Yeah. 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 So, so, so for you, you know, when did you, you know, kind of what, the startup journey, right? Because it's not easy building a startup. You know, both of you, both you and I, similar to you, we're both building startups right now. We both know that pivoting is always crazy. You know, tell me about your startup journey. Tell us about your startup journey. You know, what was that like when you realized, well, there's this opportunity for humanly that doesn't exist yet. How do I go get it? How do I go build it? Yeah, no, it's, I think, you know, I've always kind of felt like an, an entrepreneur at heart in some ways. So kind of seeking out those those problems, asking questions, things like that. And then I also, um, after, again, mentioning my kid again, after having kids, I also realized that, you know, it's I, I want to make them proud about what I'm doing. So I want to yeah. create an impact. But from a humanly standpoint, really, it was in, in my previous job at Tiny Pulse, working with all these different mid-market companies and hearing the pain directly from companies around hiring and recruiting. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty insane right now. Only about 20% of people that send a resume in um, have it viewed by a human. The average recruiter spends about seven seconds per resume. So they're just looking at a few things. Mm. So as I witnessed those, those pains firsthand and um, as a candidate, as well as a, as a hiring manager, I, I saw there was just a tremendous amount of inequity and inefficiency. And I, I think to, to I, I think one thing that's really important is as a fair, you have to be extremely passionate about the problem, not just mm. the solution, not just a solution. I think sometimes people get too caught up in their single solution or their technology, but yeah. really, really you need to um, want to fix a problem and there's a, multiple different ways you can fix many problems, but it's so true. It's so true. It's, it's really starting with the why, 
right? Mm-hmm. The root cause of why that problem exists, and then understanding, okay, then the the what is always malleable, right? Similar when you know talking about software, the what you can always change the what, it can always adapt, but that why never changes, right? So I love that you mentioned that. So I want to show love to our amazing viewer and community member. Naya is saying you said culture ad versus culture fit. What is the difference and which one do you feel is more important for your organization, Prime? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm okay with both terms, but I, I generally um, lean towards culture ad. So mm. I, I, I and and you know it's it's a matter of of um, a semantics at, 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 to some degree, but but I guess what I what I mean but I mean by that is if if your organization is growing and evolving, and I think cultures are living and breathing and, and non-static, it's important that you know not just where you are, but where you want to uh. get to and what pieces you need to add to get there. Um, I think oftentimes people get very, so we, we did a, um, some research where uh, I sat in um, on um, interviews for about 30 different companies and, and some of the interviews were focused on culture screening, culture fit screening. And what you begin to find is there's so much bias um, where people are evaluating people as a culture fit based on, hey, does this sound like someone I'd like to hang out with after work or do, do I think this person's like similar personality to me? So I think you have to get beyond that and think about what your organization needs. How do you get to that next step in your culture roadmap? Mm. It's probably probably by adding pieces that can help you get there. Um, you know, like creating a, a sports team or, or something like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. So how many people are at Humanly right now? Um, five full time. Um, and five then we full have time. Three part time. Yep. Okay, that's awesome. So Naya, that's how you do it, Naya. Make sure you do it. Make sure you implement. So shout out to the professor of music is his title. <laughs> That's a really awesome title on LinkedIn. How has your culture supported the creative industry, Prem? Like film, technology, visual art, music, theater. Interface these elements into your business via building your companies. You know, I, I would love for Prem to answer that. And I'll, I'll probably even touch on that a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, this is definitely so. Um, one of our um, one of our uh, employees comes from the creative industry, and it's something that's really interesting to me. Honestly, we're we're looking to learn, so I'd love to love to get connected offline as well. Um, but but I think um, you know, from like a product standpoint, um, we're we're trying to kind of create mm-hmm. automation and mechanisms where it's somewhat industry agnostic. Um, mm. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, so, but, but, so we do have some customers that are, they're in that space, but to me, I, I think really it's just about understanding kind of what makes your employees tick and what's important to them. Um, so mm. my particular employee that um, has that background in, from the creative industry has been instrumental in helping us kind of think of ways that we can, um, share each person's personality and give them a microphone but i guess not not that you know it, it's definitely something i'd love to learn more about and, and i'm open to ideas yeah yeah shout out to shout out to professor of music for asking such a great question so uh, he, he's mentioning that the usage of uh, the usage of integrating creative elements while building new organizations grows and expands the mission of a company i agree and one of the things mm-hmm. that we're, i'm really passionate about the work that we're doing with the guide is the fact that we're really thinking about skills training from the standpoint that every learner is a creator, right? So one of the things that we're really focused on now, because we, we really realize that, you know, 
everyone has knowledge, right? And we're thinking about a decentralized world where everyone now is working from home and learning from home. You now have this opportunity to where no matter if you're a creative remote worker or you're just a knowledge worker working for a Microsoft or a Facebook, you have the opportunity to share your knowledge with people and learn any skill. So for me, I think like, you know, the anyone that's coming from a creative industry or is working in a, in a creative industry, you know, they're remote workers now, not only freelance workers. So it's like for, from a product standpoint, we're really interested in making sure that we can use guide to help them learn, but also help them create. So I love that question. Professor music is super awesome. So I want to ask you, Prem, you know, you recently, you and your team, y'all got into YC. Uh, you all, uh, what what batch were you all? I think spring. Yeah, no, this last one. So winter twenty. So we, we winter twenty, yeah, yeah. which is huge for those of you who don't know Y Combinator. Make sure you check out Y Combinator. It's one of the most hottest accelerators in Silicon Valley. Prem, you know, talk to me a little bit about that journey because not a lot of companies get into YC, man. Yeah, no, it's it was it was a fun ride for sure. Um, you know, we, we applied to a couple couple different accelerators and um, really enjoyed the experience. Uh, it was you know it, it, it was a, a fun process. So you know, you fly fly down to, to Palo Alto. Uh, uh, it's a um, ten minute ten minute interview, um, and you know, I, I don't think I've ever left any interview. Um, so sure that I did not get the opportunity, um, mm. but it's, but it, it ended up working out. Um, so, but, but yeah, no, I think with all, with all the accelerators and what YC has done a really good job of is creating just an amazing network. So you have great partners that you're working with that have, mm. you know, not just a lot of times an entrepreneur, it's hard to, you get so much advice. It's hard to know, you know, should I listen to this advisor or this leader or this teammate, um, about where to take your company. The great thing about a uh, community like YC and, and other similar communities is the partners there have, they're not giving you one-to-one -one advice. They're giving you advice that has been built um, uh, over talking to like thousands of different companies. So you're hearing kind of a distilling of, of their kind of vast mm. amount of knowledge. So versus just one-off information. So, so that was really good. And, and the network is great. So you meet a lot of very passionate people um, and um, yeah, so we really enjoyed the experience, and um, you know, we're we're uh, we're looking forward to the next next step now. Dude, that's awesome, Prime. That's awesome. You know, uh, for for you, you know, because you're you're one of those people where you're incredibly charismatic. You know, how did it feel for you when you made it into Y Combinator? Um, yeah, no, it felt really good. So we uh, so we finished up the interview and um, went to dinner at a um, Chinese <laughs> restaurant in the in the Bay Area, and. Um, they uh, um, we're waiting for a call from a number because they were going to call us and let us know if, if we made it in. And um, the minute I minute I got a call from an unknown number, I picked it up and um, <laughs> good, good good news. And I you know gave it gave a thumbs up uh, and then scarfed down the rest of my dinner. But yeah, no, it, was, <laughs> it, it felt really good. I, I think you know with any of these things like fundraising, getting mm. investment. Well, it's really just a, it's a step in the journey. So it doesn't mean that you've succeeded in any way, but it's a good, mm. um, a, 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 a good kind of milestone as you work towards uh, ultimate success. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I love about you is the fact that, you know, you're always, you're really ambitious, man. You're always setting goals. You're always, I mean, working in product and working in SaaS, you have to, 
<laughs> sense, but you're always moving the ball forward. And I think, you know, it was no surprise you and your team got to YC, man. So, you know, I want to I want to talk to you a little bit more and, and kind of go back to, you know, what we were talking about in terms of culture and leadership. You know, yeah. from your standpoint, what do you think are three tips, right, powerful tips that you have for people who want to build a sustainable culture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a, a couple of things I'd say. So to distill it to three, I think, you know, one is is um, really, and I, going back to the product roadmap, but have, having a plan. So, yeah. so I, I think um, one, of the big, <laughs> yeah, one, one of the big things is you have to be very mindful about creating a culture, just like, yeah. just like building a product. So you want to have to know what, what's your vision for that culture? Where do you want it to be in three months, six months? one year and then what are you going to do to get there so i yeah. think treating it like with a project management hat on um is one thing so having structure um i, I would say is is one thing the other is just having those listening mechanisms in place so like like i said you can't I, you can't change what you can't measure so so i think um using tools to understand the pulse of your employees and um where they're at now um and, and again it's um, not just your current employees but Maybe past employees. Why are people mm. leaving? Um, future employees. What's well, the candidate experience and the new employee um, scenario like? So I think having t- listening tools so you can measure it is the only way you're going to be able to know what to build on on your roadmap. And I think the third one is just having an open. So a culture is not created by leadership. I think they're a, a key player in driving it forward. But mm. really, it's it's kind of a, a living, breathing thing that's a conglomeration of all your, your workforce and your employees and the people you bring in. So I think leaders oftentimes, um, maybe it's in some ways how they've gotten into leadership positions. They are used to like mandating things and yeah. being, but, but I think in, in culture, it's a little different. You have to be very open and you have to be listening to what the data is saying. Um, Mm. um as well so so yeah those are those are three things i I point out i love that that's so powerful man i think there's a rise in employee SaaS listening tools that so many organizations can take advantage of right there's not a shortage of tools to use Mm -hmm. when it comes to employee listening but i think there is a shortage in an initiative and recognizing Mm -hmm. you know you have to listen to your people that work within your company that you're leading as a as a manager you know good feedback and bad feedback right you know i think one of the things that you know leading a team leading organization has taught me is that good feedback or not like i have to accept it right even if i don't like it i have to accept i have to embrace it and it's even it, it it can sometimes be even feedback you're like oh it doesn't make sense right i don't get it right you know so it's it's okay and i think a lot of people leaders need to realize that that because if you're not listening you're losing right? Yep. You're losing in the market. You're losing with, with your culture. You're losing with your people. So, you know, I, I love what you're saying, Prem. It's incredibly powerful, man. Thank you. Yeah, no. And I think the one piece I'll also add is the the last is taking action on it. It, you, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to do what every single person requests, but it's similar to if a customer would be giving me a feature request. I think closing the loop by saying, in front of all your employees, hey, this is what we're going to do about it, or this is why we're not doing it. It sounds so simple, but having yeah. consistency and discipline around that is 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 going to create a, a culture of feedback where people actually want to give feedback. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, Naya said we should definitely check out Danielle Leslie. Shout out to Naya. She talks a lot about culture ad and why it is important. Definitely not semantics in the way that she explained it explains it. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Naya. We will definitely be checking out Danielle Leslie. She sounds incredibly interesting. So, you know, 
you know, Prem, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you are thinking about organizations in the modern era of post-COVID, of post-COVID, right? You know, I, I think you and I, we've had conversations before, before this live. Me and, me and Prem are, are really great buddies, y'all. You know, we've talked about how most organizations assume that they have to lock people up. Right. <laughs> like most leaders think like, I want to keep my people for as long as possible. And one of the things I've told you is that we're just not living in that era anymore. Right. People want to go into companies. They want to grow and they want to go beyond that company, not in a bad way, but in a sense, like every employee experience, every company is an opportunity to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to get your thoughts on this. Why do you think organizations uh, should think beyond locking people within their workforce? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that the goal should be maximizing everyone's potential, not necessarily mm -hmm. keeping them for the longest period of time. Um, yeah. You know, I think the, the old old way of thinking about it is what we used to call like uh, button seat attrition. So physical attrition, how do we literally, <laughs> how do we literally keep them here in the doors? But to me, I mean, it's really... Um, it, there's also cognitive attrition, people losing, not being engaged and losing their, their mind share in, in, yeah. when they are there. Um, there's a, a pr professor, Dr. Burke, um, has done some research on this. And the, the most, um, you know, the worst type of employee is not someone that leaves. It's the ones that what he calls the reluctant stayers. So people that are there and, and not, not checked in. Um, so mm -hmm. when I think about maximizing potential, there's a lot of ways you, you can do that. I mean, I think if, if someone stays for one or for five years, but they're only engaged for three years, um, I, I'd much rather take someone that just stays for three years that's engaged that whole time. Um, mm -hmm. Shortening up cycle time on onboarding is one way of, of getting people productive and engaged quicker. So mm -hmm. instead of making the end point um, later, you're actually speeding up the, the, where they're able to contribute. Um, I think measuring engagement is another way of ensuring that people are engaged. But yeah, I mean, like, like you said, it's not about locking folks in, but just creating such an amazing environment that people end up wanting to stay. And then you even see your physical attrition numbers looking better because you aren't so focused on the number of people that are leaving and, and how and what their tenure is within the organization. Yeah, 120%. 120%. I love how you mentioned maximizing the potential of every person. And, you know, I think a lot of a lot of leaders lack, I guess, the empathy of how do you approach maximizing true potential? You know, mm -hmm. in terms of the people that you're working with and that because, you know, I you know, there's there's certain words that you even see and you read in organizations. Right. Um, this person is a direct, the direct report of. Right. Like a lot of organizations were designed around this very mechanistic model mm -hmm. of, of, of leadership, you know, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And I think, you know, with a lot of the work that you all are doing with humanly, it's like you all are literally humanizing functions like recruiting HR to be more conversation, more relationship based. And I think more importantly, to think about how do you maximize people's potential even before they enter your your, your workplace, right? Like really building a good rapport with them and saying, what do you, what do you want to do in our, in yeah. our work environment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, even, even before they join and then also once they leave, I think some of the leading companies are doing a pretty good job with, with alumni relationships. I mean, you want yeah. everyone that interacts with your employer brand, whether it's a candidate applies, even the ones that get, don't get the job or people that leave to, to be advocates for you. I think if you're creating your brand in the right way.
Yeah, yeah, I agree 130%. You know, shout out to Sri. It is not about org structure, more about how can we ensure culture is maintained even after the company grows bigger at top management level. Thoughts on that, Priyam? Yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree. I don't don't think it's it's about org culture, org structure. Um, I think, um, you know, as companies grow, and that's why I think it's so important to kind of have the, that kind of, forward-looking vision around what the roadmap will be like what 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 are your growth expectations of the company and how do you want the culture to evolve as those things happen versus just trying to like maintain what you have right now so yeah i, I agree with that statement yeah 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 shot to sri shot to sri that was a great comment you know sri said once a startup scales medium big who in the organization is responsible to course correct if culture is is sent by is is sent by the senior management or bent by, oh, okay. I'll reread that. Once the startup scales medium to big, you know, who in the organization is responsible to course correct if culture is bent by the senior management? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. And I think, um, yeah, and, and there's no no silver bullet, but it's, it's definitely one problem organizations have when they're earlier in that journey, it is making culture too much bent on senior management. And, <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden you're you're getting more folks that are just like the leaders and all of a sudden you ha- could have uh, a very like homogenous group of folks and you're not really adding to it. So so I think I think to to plan for that it's important um, early on to have have those those culture voices so we had a culture committee um at my previous company we're a little small now so at humanly so we're, we're all a culture committee but um the so the, the way we did it is you know the culture committee would meet every two weeks um they would read all the feedback from employees and, and this is my previous company went through kind of that that growth stage from a, a small um startup to to a large larger startup um and uh, you know, really empowering that culture committee to the point where leadership had to address everything that the culture committee thought was important, as as voted by by employees, and um, and then respond to the entire company in a in a biweekly meeting about what they're going to do about certain things. And we had some pretty pretty real discussions. I mean, there was um, a lot of different um, conversations that people would anonymously bring up, and the culture committee would would have leadership address in front of everyone. So I think. Building those sort of mechanisms when you're mm-hmm. still small um, will, will kind of help. Uh, if you're already in a situation where that maybe hasn't happened and, and the culture is really being driven by leadership, I, it obviously depends on how how responsive uh, your leadership is. And, and good leaders are very, very responsive to this. Um, but you know, maybe maybe suggesting um, can, can we create a you know a, a non nonpartisan group of employees that that are part of our culture committee. Yeah, no, no, I agree 100%, man. I love that. Create that committee. Create that committee. Create that culture community. And don't start, don't do it when it's too late, man. Do it early, right? And, you know, I, I feel, Prem, you know, one, one thing that, you know, you and I have talked about is that culture is the operating system, right? I love how you, you know, going back to early what you were doing is you think about culture as this nimble, malleable thing that one can scale, or if you don't design it correctly, it won't scale. Right. And if you're not thinking about how you continue to improve it and, you know, I want to kind of have you go back to people's careers, especially the people that you lead within your company. But let's even think broader about, you know, some of the people in the Unleash in the Future work community. How do you think people can kind of create this mindset around continuous improvement when it comes to their careers and their personal development? 
Yeah, I, I think it starts like in the interview process. So I, yeah. I think good employers and good interviewers will not just ask, can this person have success in doing this job, but can this company have success in empowering this employee to meet their mm -hmm. career goals? So I think asking an in interview, kind of um, understanding where this person wants to be, in one, and a lot of people do this, but where they want to be in one year, three year, and then kind of figuring out, is it really, you know, are we going to be able to provide that as a company to this new employee? And then I, th I think, you know, always, um, you know, servant leadership and, from an individual manager standpoint, continuing that discussion, whether it's you know an every one-on-one or it's every three months, but making an ongoing thing. Um, there's uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of research out there about like um, going back to the employees leaving and exiting um, to um, you know maybe in a lot of cases that's to move to the next step in their career. I think having that conversation with your manager. So I've heard mm -hmm. people call it like the two-year notice instead of the two-week notice. So they're working with you for whatever your your next career ambition is at my last company I, I you know I let them know what I wanted to do in, in my interview was that I wanted to eventually start start a my, my own company and we kind of made it wow. an ongoing ongoing discussion it doesn't work with obviously you have to have leaders that, that um, believe in that unfortunately not all do um, yeah. but, but it's a good training moment to train managers if they're not if they're not supporting in that way yeah, no, that's a powerful. That's powerful. Sri saying it is not about org structure, more about how can we ensure culture is maintained even after the company grows bigger to at top management level. Shout out to you, Sri. Thank you for tuning in. If y'all have any more questions, feel free to ask. You know, but with that said, Prem, I want to talk with you. What's next for humanly.io? I feel as if this is y'all's moment, especially now with recruiting becoming more challenging for companies, right? They can't do virtual, um, well, they can do virtual coffee chats, but they can't do on-site recruiting anymore, on-site interviewing. Now more than ever, the world needs humanly. So what's next for you and the team? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, you know, um, it's a tough time from a public health standpoint. So I yeah. think that's the most important thing. But from a business standpoint, yeah, there definitely is an opportunity to be uh, be part of the new normal. And, and yeah. I feel that, people are much more open um, to trying out different kinds of automation now and, and then seeing yeah. themselves when they use us, you know, the amount of time they're saving, the, the breadth of, of additions they're, they're um, bringing into their organization. So as far as what's next, yeah, our goal is just to, to keep growing, to keep working with um, some uh, uh, great new organizations and also to, uh, to help in this situation. So we're, we're building a, um, a little bot technology right now um, with the help of some leading doctors that will allow you to um, assess COVID-19 symptoms and things like that because we're our technology at the same way we screen candidates can be used for screening other sorts of things. So I think being part of the solution uh, at a small scale, um, I know we're not going to solve all, all the problems together but um, or by ourselves. Um, but um, yeah, and, and from a business standpoint, yeah, man, we're, we're growing and um, we're, we're excited to, to continue to build, get more customer traction and, mm. and we're doubling down on industries like healthcare that could really use um, help in hiring right now. So yeah, yeah, no, dude, you all are, you all are focusing on the right industries. And I think it's, it's funny because I think it's you adapting to the current of the market, which great product leaders and great abundant driven, abundant minded leaders do especially in the time like this so shout out to you and the and the humanly team with that said y'all thank y'all so much for tuning in to another episode of the unleashing the future of work a guide 
podcast guide is the awesome distance learning skills training, bite-side skills training solution for all of your teams, but more importantly for anyone that wants to learn anything on demand. So check out Guide. We are excited about the future of now, as I like to call it. And more importantly, I want to thank Prem for coming on the UTFOW live online podcast. And really quickly, in case you don't know, me and my really good friend who works at Amazon, John Marty, we're actually launching a course called BreakIntoBigTech.com. Check out BreakIntoBigTech, the course, BreakIntoBigTech.com. It's on your screen. And more importantly, check out the work that my homie Prem is doing at humanly.io. It's amazing. He's a great leader. And follow him on LinkedIn. Is there anywhere else that people can follow you, Prem? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter uh, as well. Uh, it's just my first name, last name, tweets. Uh, so Prem Kumar tweets. Shout out to Prem. And lastly but not least, if you're interested in sponsoring or being a guest on the Unleashing the Future of Work podcast, check out utfow.com, utfow.com. Check it out. And we would love to have you as a sponsor or a guest in the future. With that said, peace, love, and see you next week for another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work.com. <laughs> Talk soon. Oh, thanks, man.